Welcome to episode number 44 of Sean's Sports Show. Today we are coming at you live from the usual Los Angeles, California. Not much has transpired around here, but a lot has transpired inside the world of sports. A lot to cover today, uh, especially with the breaking news in sports. So we're going to be covering the breaking news, as well as the news results and matchups of the sports teams in Los Angeles, California. And finally, the Monte Carlo Open Tennis Tournament. So the first thing that we're going to be talking about has to do with just... Um, you know, general sports news. So several athletes that include Golden State Warriors forward Kevin Durant, Houston Texans defensive end J.J. Watt, and tennis star Roger Federer were named in Time's 2018 list of the world's 100 most influential people on Thursday. Um, and the cover, the cover of the magazine featured Roger Federer himself. In addition to Durant, Watt, and Federer, snowboarder Chloe Kim, figure skater Adam Rippon, and cricketer Virat Cole were part of the list. Listed under the quote Titans category, Federer's time entry was written by Microsoft founder Bill Gates. At 36 years of age, Federer has experienced a career uh, renaissance. The 20-time Grand Slam singles champion won the Australian Open and Wimbledon last year, and he already has another Australian Open to his credit in 2018. If, for those of you that don't know, the Australian Open takes place annually and every January in, uh, in Melbourne, Australia. While Gates made mention of his on-court success, he primarily focused on Federer's philanthropy. Apple executive Eddie Q wrote the entry for Durant, and he mentioned KD committing $10 million to the college track program in an effort to provide children with higher education. Last season, Durant won his first NBA championship of his career after joining the Warriors, and he was named the NBA Finals MVP. Watt was categorized as a, as a quote, leader on Time's list following his con contributions during the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. While Watt was limited to just five games last season due to injury, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner wrote that the three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year helped raise more than $37 million for the hurricane recovery efforts. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see that some athletes are being featured in the you know most influential people. Uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised that LeBron James or Stephen Curry are not on that list, as well as uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, so that's just my own take on it. Now, a story inside the world of European soccer. I'm going to get this out of the way uh, for those of you that don't really care about it. Victor Moses scored the winner 13 minutes from time as Chelsea kept the pressure on Tottenham Hotspur in fourth place after beating Burnley 2-1 at Turf Moor in the Premier League on Thursday. Moses had helped give the Blues the lead early when his shot went off uh, off the chest of Claret's defender Kevin Long. Ashley Barnes equalized on 66 minutes thanks to a more fortunate deflection for the home side before Moses slotted in the winner. Chelsea have cut the gap on, on the Spurs in place and a, a place in the top four to five points while Burnley stay seventh after failing to overtake Arsenal. So that's the news. Now a big story inside the world of college football. Maybe it's, it's best to begin with the stone cold truth, a, a dose of reality from the most anticipated quarterback competition in all of college football. Jalen Hurts isn't changing positions and there's a good chance if, Alabama re if, if Alabama's record-breaking junior quarterback doesn't win the starting job while competing with national championship hero Tua Tagovailoa, uh, Tago, uh, he's not hanging around uh, Tuscaloosa to to the fall to watch from the bench. Um, quote, I told Jalen you effed up and you, you opened the door and put yourself in this situation. Every young Hurts, who's Jalen's dad, told BR, and BR is Bleacher Report, in an exclusive interview in, in Hurts' hometown of Channel View, Texas. Now it's up to you to dig yourself out. It has been more than four months since Tagovoila finished off a freshman season of inactivity with two quarters and one overtime series of the unthinkable. When he replaced the struggling Hurts at halftime of the college football playoff national championship, and led Alabama to another national title, he unleashed the idea that 30 minutes of doing just about everything right uh, supersedes two seasons of doing nearly nothing wrong. 
it wasn't long ago that Jalen Hurts was well on his way to securing his place alongside the best quarterbacks to play at Alabama, whether it was Kenny Stabler and Bart Starr, Jay Barker and A.J. McCarron, or even Joe Willie Namath himself. Now he may not play another down for the Tide. Saban hasn't allowed his two QBs to speak to the media, so those who know Hurts, who have been part of his life growing up in Texas and part of his team at Alabama, must speak for him. To a person, they say the same thing. The player who was so gracious in Tua's afterglow, who selflessly praised Tugavoyla's in Tugavoyla in the in his brief moment of glory is determined to win back his starting job. So while the college football world embraced all things, Tugavoyla hurts. Tugavoyla, oh, excuse me. So while the college football world embraced all things, Tugavoyla hurts went back uh, to work the following week and arrived at spring practice in the best in the best shape of his career. Quote: This whole thing about Jalen is going to be a backup, or he's going to be, or he's going to give up. It's all just completely bogus, said Alabama tailback Damian Harris. Anyone who thinks he's just going to sit back and take it clearly doesn't know him. Or as Alabama offensive lineman Ross Pierce-Gaber said, um, quote, hungry does not run faster. Uh, Averian Hurts, a successful head at Channel View High School, uh, doesn't like talking about what-ifs because in his mind his son is winning the job, but he can also appreciate the optics, the optics staring back at Saban. Quote, Coach Saban's job is to do what's best for his team. I have no problem with that. Evier and Hurt said, my job is to do what's best for Jalen and make no mistake. Jalen is a quarterback and he wants to play quarterback. He loves Alabama, loves Coach Saban and everything about that place, but he wants to play and he will play. Evier stops mid-sentence because the idea of his son not playing for Alabama isn't one he takes lightly. What if Jalen doesn't win the job? He's asked. He shakes his head slowly, answers begrudgingly. Quote, well, he'd be the best, he'd be the biggest free agent in college football history. Think about that. Jalen Hurts with two years of eligibility on the open market. Don't think that Saban hasn't thought of that too. That's the reason he tried to sign former East Carolina quarterback um, Gardner Minshew, who eventually chose Washington State, and why he'll likely try to find another graduate transfer this offseason. There's a good chance whoever loses the QB competition at Alabama will be looking for a new home. As much as Saban has tried to control the process and prepare for any contingencies, all he can really do, in my opinion, uh, is add another arm to the competition. If history is any indication, Saban likely will carry the competition all the way through fall camp and into game week, like he did two years ago with Hertz and three others. Hertz won that job in the first game against Southern Cal after coming off the bench to replace an ineffective Blake Barnett, who left Alabama after that and now plays at Arizona State. This competition has been uh, stalled by a broken bone in Tagovailoa's throwing hand that has kept him from significant work in spring practice. Alabama's annual A-Day game is Saturday, and Tagovailoa's status is in doubt. He further aggravated the injury last week, and Saban may not want him to risk playing him, even with a no-contact jersey. Um, but but that has done little change. But that has done little to change the landscape of the biggest story of the college uh, football offseason. "Quote: Don't kid yourself. Every single one of us would love to be in Nick's situation," one SEC coach said. "But that's a tough spot. You know what Jalen gives you? You've seen him go through the wars. But Tua boy, that's a talent right there. He looks like one of those. Hey, these dudes only come along every so often type of player." There were three quarterbacks in last year's college football playoff national championship. Three unique talents, one sophomore who hurts, and two freshmen, Tagavoyla and George's Jake Fromm, who could play a critical role in the future playoffs. Hurts is the youngest of the group. Hurts was 17 when he enrolled in Alabama in the spring of 2016. He was only one month removed from his 18th birthday when he won the starting job. He will graduate from Alabama in December with a degree in public relations. Quote, the thing that stuck out the most was that he was just unfazed, said Mario Cristobal, the head coach at Oregon, who was the offensive line coach at Alabama when Hurts arrived. He gets to a place that is loaded with talent at every position, and he's playing the most important position in an offense that was completely different from what he was used to do. And he just kept chopping wood. No matter how it got, um, how heated and challenging, I never saw him lose his cool. Quote, all he ever wanted to do was play. 
quarterback Avier and says of his son, he's got a tight end or an H back or anything else. He's a QB. Hertz has Hertz has had four offensive coordinators: Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, Brian DeBall, Mike Lasky, and four quarterbacks coaches: Kiffin, Sarkeesian, DeBall, Dan Enos. In his brief time at Alabama, so it should come as no surprise that while playing for his third coordinator and quarterbacks coach, Hertz's numbers repla- uh, regressed last season. He tried to eliminate mistakes and uh, decrease his interceptions from nine to twenty six from nine in twenty sixteen to one last season, but in the process, his game changed. He held on to the ball too long, took too many sacks, and struggled at times to read defenders. In January, ESPN draft expert Mel Kuyper added to the narrative that Hertz could change positions when he told reporters Hertz won't play quarterback in the NFL. "Quote: You've really got you. Really, you're really going to say that about a kid who is all of 19 years old who hasn't had the same OC since he's been there." An NFC scout told Bleacher Report, "Jalen can get can get better in any number of areas. There's no question about that. But to say a kid who is 19 can't play the position and should move to another is incredibly incredibly short-sighted." You're going to tell me a guy who is a proven winner, who is an unreal locker room presence, who just needs coaching and work, will never play quarterback in our league? Come on, expand your mind a little bit. Uh, let's just here. Let's just take a second to look at reality. Hertz did open the door for Tagovoila, but he did so long before the national championship game. It began in November with struggles at Auburn in, in Alabama's only loss of the season. When the tide couldn't block Auburn's ferocious front four, and Hertz paid for it. He completed only 12 of 22 passes for 112 yards, and followed that with 120 yards passing against Clemson in the college football playoff semifinal. The Alabama staff wanted to get Tagovoila in the Clemson game, but that didn't happen. Despite Hurts' struggles, he did throw two touchdown passes and did not have an interception in the 24-6 win. Once Georgia dominated the first half of the national championship game, in which Hurts completed only three of eight passes for 21 yards, Saban made the move to Tuckavoyla as the Tide trailed 13-0. So it should be interesting how this plays out. Uh, Personally, I think that Jalen Hurts is going to win the starting, or keep the starting job, rather, uh, simply because Tuckavoyla is coming off a pretty big injury uh, that he suffered recently, obviously, as I already said. So I think it's going to be Hertz's job, and I think Tugavoyla is going to transfer to a different university. So now switching gears, we talk, I talked about this for, a, for a, a while, so switching gears now to baseball. After four-plus seasons, Brian Price has been fired as manager of the Cincinnati Reds. The team announced Thursday that Price will be replaced on an interim basis by bench coach uh, Jim Riggleman on the heels of a 31-15 start. Uh, the Reds added that they will conduct a, th- a, a, quote, thorough managerial search later in the year to find a permanent manager. Cincinnati, which owns the worst record in Major League Baseball, also fired pitching coach Mark Jenkins. Danny Darwin will replace Jenkins in that role, while Pat Kelly will, uh, will be elevated from Louisville, uh, who he's the AAA manager, to bench coach. In over four seasons at the helm uh, in Cincinnati, Price posted a record of 279 and 387, and he's never reached the playoffs. The Reds never won more than 76 games in a season during his tenure, and they won fewer than 70 in each of the 2015, 16, and 17 seasons. Riggleman has extensive managerial experience with the San Diego Padres, Chicago Cubs, Seattle uh, Mariners, and Washington Nationals. He has a career record of 662 and 824, and most recently managed the Nats from 2009 through 2011. In his last 12 seasons as the manager, Riggleman's only playoff appearance came with the Cubs in 1998, but they were swept in the National League Division Series. The Reds have been trending downward since last making the playoffs in 2013, which marked Dusty Baker's final year as the manager. Price was handed the keys to a car starting to break down and he held it together as best he could for a year before it completely fell apart in 2015 with the smoke still rising in 2016, 17, and 18. While another managerial job likely isn't Price's immediate future, he still has value in Major League Baseball since he served as a pitching coach for the Seattle Mariners, Arizona Diamondbacks, and Reds from 2000 through 2013. Uh, so my take on this is um, this was definitely the right move by the Reds considering the fact 
that you know he's never made the playoffs with the Reds. He has a losing record. They're the worst team in the major leagues uh, so far this season with him as the manager. So you know you could argue if it was a similar situation as like with UConn in men's college basketball where they went from national champions to very very bad. If Cincinnati won the if Cincinnati won the World Series or even made a fairly deep playoff run, um, you know within the last few years with this guy as the manager, uh, it would be it would be reasonable to give him a chance to stick around even though they would be even though they're the worst team in the league. But you know as I said he's never made the playoffs. They have a losing record. It's a right move um, for them for the team for the Reds. And it also probably is the right move for him, even if he doesn't think so, because you know he probably he probably just needs a fresh start somewhere. So now a story covering my Los Angeles Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers reportedly have their sights set acquiring Kawhi Leonard from the San Antonio Spurs this offseason. Per John Davini of Sporting News, one NBA executive said the Lakers will quote go in hard for Leonard. The relationship between Leonard and the Spurs has been the source of much speculation throughout this season. Um, ESPN analyst Jalen Rose said during a January episode of First Take that Leonard, quote, wants out of San Antonio. Devaney did note the Spurs could attempt to work out any issues they might have with Leonard and make him uh, a Supermax contract offer worth $200 million in July. He added that the Lakers may not want to part with young players like Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram in a trade for Leonard if they believe they could sign him as a free agent next summer in 2019. Leonard has one more guaranteed year left on his contract with a player option worth $21.3 million for the 2019-20 season per spot track. In only nine games this year, Leonard has averaged 16.2 points and 4.7 rebounds. So my take on this is um, as a Laker fan, I don't, I don't want uh, to trade for Leonard. Um, you know, you can call me crazy because uh, you, you can always say, oh, there's a chance he's not going to sign with the Lakers in 2019. Personally... I'm not going to even be upset if he doesn't sign up with us in 2019 either. Parting with, you know, parting with Brandon Ingram or Kyle Kuzma, or especially both of them in a trade for Leonard, makes absolutely no sense for the Lakers, considering that both, uh, in my opinion, are future, and in many other people people's opinions, are future All-Stars. So, um, now a story inside the world of basketball. So, this was, uh, I'm recording this episode at around 10 p.m., on Thursday night, so this was a story that was kind of reported earlier in the morning, but it's still it's still worth um, covering. So, assistant Ettore Messina will lead the San Antonio Spurs coaching staff for Game Three of their playoff series against the Golden State Warriors on Thursday night, after head coach Greg Popovich's wife Erin Popovich died on Wednesday. And so, the reason why I said this was because the game already happened between Golden State and San Antonio, and I'm going to be covering it a bit later in the episode. So, San Antonio Spurs uh, PR confirmed the news. Uh, and it was confirmed by um, Fox Sports Southwest. Uh, San Antonio's announcement noted the Popoviches were, quote, married for four decades and were blessed with two children and two grandchildren. So it's, uh, it's very unfortunate. And uh, hopefully for San Antonio, he's going to be back for, for game four. So um, now a story, another story inside the world of the NBA. Uh, New York Knicks owner James Dolan said on a Wednesday that star forward Chris Stapps Porzingis could potentially miss the entire 2018-19 season after tearing his ACL in February. According to Larry Brooks of the New York Post, Dolan said the following with regard to Porzingis' timetable. Quote, I've been told everything from December to him being out for the season, so I don't know what to expect on that, but we can't just sit on our ass while he's away. We need to develop, we need to develop a team and then integrate him into it when he comes back. 
The 22-year-old Porzingis was limited to only 48 games because of injuries in 2017-18, but he was highly productive in his third season when he played. Porzingis, Porzingis averaged a career-high 22.7 points to go along with 6.6 .6 rebounds and 2.4 blocks, and he was named uh, an all-star for the first time in his career. New York, however, struggled as a whole and finished the season 11th in the Eastern Conference with a record of 29-53. and 53. The Knicks have not reached the postseason since the 2012-2013 season. Dolan called, Porz called Porzingis a, quote, great player, but stressed the importance of building a strong supporting cast around him. New York figures to have a high pick in the, in the stack 2018 NBA draft, which could go a long way toward ending the team's playoff drought in the near future. But um, in my opinion, knowing the Knicks, they were probably going to make another dumb move, especially with Mr. James Dolan as the owner. The Knicks will also hope for the continued development of 2017 first-round pick Frank uh, Nitikina, in addition to the likes of Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway Jr., taking on even more prominent roles. So my opinion is I think the Knicks are going to mess this up either way, as they've done so in years past. And they just make dumb move after dumb move. They're the Cleveland Browns of the NBA. So... Porzingis is among the fastest rising stars in the NBA, and an entire season without him would be a major setback for a Knicks team that is um, that that has been starved for success. So um, now a very surprising story, or actually not surprising. Well, you could look at it either way, but to me, it's um, it's not surprising, <laughs> and I'll get into it. So the Cleveland Browns have considered selecting two quarterbacks in the first round of the 2018 NFL Draft, according to Kevin Clark of The Ringer. Cleveland holds picks number one and number four. Um, and Clark said he asked, quote, multiple members of the organization if they have, quote, considered ignoring all norms and drafting two quarterbacks high in the draft. Quote, the answer is yes. The people I, I asked have thought about it, discussed it, and investigated it. Clark wrote, this is not to say it will happen, but the Browns have considered it. In fact, one person I spoke with could immediately rattle off every previous instance of teams drafting two passers high because he'd done the pep work on the idea. Uh, if the Browns were to select the quarterback with their first-round picks at number one and number four, it would be unprecedented. It's also fair to question if it would actually be logical. But as I said earlier, um, it wouldn't be surprising to me because the Browns continue to do things that are absolutely illogical. They, ne they seem to never make the right move, and they've been doing so for decades now. So it, it would not be surprising if they make the bozo move of drafting two two quarterbacks in a, in a draft loaded with talent other than quarterbacks as well. So the obvious benefit is that it would double the team's odds of landing a franchise quarterback, a position that has been the realm of a failed draft of failed draft picks, washed up veterans, and journeyman placeholders since Bernie Kosar hung up his cleats. On the other end, Clark outlined the reasons it wouldn't necessarily make sense. Uh, quote, the people I spoke with, however, were quick to outline the downsides, not enough practice reps to develop two quarterbacks, and the inability to trade a rookie midseason because of a, because of a clause in the CBA. One person I spoke with mentioned how many unintended conse consequences you'd face if you upended the draft in such a way, specifically in the uh, far-fetched scenario in which they took two passers in the top four, but that he still th uh, thought about it plenty. Remember that, the, the, that, remember that the Browns have Tyrod Taylor on the roster, and he's expected to be the starter in 2018. There are... Only so many reps to go around. Um, and what if the Browns whipped on both quarterbacks that they selected? Uh, what if they wasted not one but two draft picks on a position and neither player becomes a long-term solution? Um, the, organi the organization would never live it down. <laughs> General manager Don John Dorsey's reputation would forever be stained and the team's rebuilding strategy would be set back for years. Imagine the Browns passing on players like Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson in past drafts and then missing on two quarterbacks in 2018. 
If, for instance, the Browns take a quarterback at number one and then land a player at a different position like Saquon Barkley or Bradley Chubb at number four, at least they didn't put all their eggs in one basket. Sure, quarterback is the most important position in the NFL, but you still have to build a strong roster around the QB. Nobody would blame the Browns for taking a, qu a quarterback with the top overall pick and then, and then addressing the position again in the late rounds of the draft when, when the odds of landing a true franchise player at a different position are slim. But on the off chance the Browns do select two quarterbacks in the first round, it undoubtedly would be one of the most controversial draft decisions in years. And personally, I do not think that they should do it. I think they should make one choice and stick by it. And um, believe it or not, I think that they're going to, uh, by taking Sam Donald first overall, it's going to be the right choice. And I think they're finally going to make the choice that uh, needs to be made, just in my opinion. And some, some other uh, draft analysts agree with me on this. So now another story and another situation that I've um, already kind of been through in this episode or been in. So um, this is this story is about Joel Embiid playing in Game 3, uh, but the game between the 76ers and Miami had already happened, but I'm still going to be saying this. So Philadelphia 76ers center Joel Embiid was up upgraded to probable for Thursday night's Game 3 matchup against the Miami Heat in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, according to Jessica Camarotto of NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, Ramona Shelburne of ESPN reported that Embiid will, quote, go through pregame warm-ups before, beforehand to make sure he feels okay, then final call, but obviously looks good at this point. The news is a major upgrade from Wednesday when Embiid was listed as doubtful on the injury report, and it's a major upgrade since the conclusion of Game 2 when Embiid was publicly frustrated over not playing and wrote in a since-deleted Instagram post, effing sick, of being, effing sick and tired of being babied. Uh, Embiid was still considered doubtful at shoot on Wednesday and had not been cleared for contact per Ian Begley of ESPN.com, but his status is set to be finalized before tip-off. Quote, to just let him go out there right now and play game three, it's still all on the table. Sixers head coach Brett Brown said earlier Thursday, you guys know that you guys know what I know. He did some contact Wednesday. It's progressing. I don't feel like I can really share anything new. The Sixers have been justifiably cautious with their star center. Keith Pompey of Philly.com reported Wednesday that, that a, quote, shot to the left side of Embiid's face could do major damage. A source said a forceful blow to the orbital bone could even permanently damage the sight in his left eye. Um, so, you know, it's it's pretty. It, it, they they're right for being cautious cautious in this situation. So now a big story inside the world of the NFL and the NFL draft. The New York Jets are reportedly expected to take Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield over UCLA quarterback uh, Josh Rosen with the number three overall pick in the 2018 NFL draft if both are on the board. According to Tony Pauline of DraftAnalyst.com, a source said Mayfield to the Jets is a, quote, done deal. Pauline wrote that while Rosen is still, quote, in consideration for the Jets, those representing the top signal callers in the draft think New York is, is smitten with Mayfield. The Jets' decision will likely be influenced by what happens above them in the draft. The Cleveland Browns figure is to target a QB at number one, as I uh, covered earlier. And the New York Giants could potentially take Eli Manning's successor at number two, although personally, I don't think that's going to happen. Along with Mayfield and, and, Rosen's, and Rosen, USC's Sam Darnold and Wyoming's Josh Allen are, expect, are expected to be selected near the top four of the draft. The Jets also have to be uh, cognizant of quarterback needy teams such as the Denver Broncos, Buffalo Bills, or Arizona Cardinals possibly trading ahead of them. New York has a bevy of quarterbacks on its roster in Josh McCown, Teddy Bridgewater, Bryce Petty, and Christian Hackenberg, but none of them stand out as long-term answers. Uh, I mean, maybe Teddy Bridgewater, but still, you know, he's... He's coming off a huge injury, so I still think New York needs to draft a quarterback. The Jets, that is. Mayfield is coming off a dominant senior season at Oklahoma that culminated in a Heisman Trophy win, 
He completed 70.5% of his passes for 4,627 yards, 43 touchdowns, and only six inter- excuse me, interceptions. Rosen completed 62.6% of his passes for 3,756 yards, 26 touchdowns, and 10 picks. So Mayfield looks like the better, better quarterback. He completed uh, you know, a higher percentage of passes. He threw for more yards. He threw for more touchdowns, and he threw less interceptions. So he's he by according to the statistics, he's a better quarterback, but that may not necessarily mean that he's a better fit for New York. Um, but while the numbers may favor Mayfield, he's listed on the small side for a QB at 6'1 and 215 pounds. However, Rosen has a, a you know a prototypical size at 6'4 and 226 pounds. In his latest NFL mock, mock draft, Bleacher Report's Matt Miller predicted the Jets will take Allen third overall, Josh Allen. He projected Mayfield heading to the Broncos at number five and Rosen landing with the Bills at number six after a trade up with the Indianapolis Colts. So that's that. Uh, now another story inside the world of the NBA, excuse me, the NFL draft. Denver Broncos general manager John Elway announced on Thursday that the number five overall pick in the 2018 NFL draft is available to the highest bidder, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. Elway's declaration came one week prior to round one of the draft, which will take place at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas on, on April the 26th. On the heels of a 5-11 season, Elway could go in several directions with that number five pick. The Broncos' biggest issue in 2017 was quarterback play, but they addressed that by signing former Minnesota Vikings QB Case Keenum to a two-year deal. Keenum would solve Denver's uh, quarterback conundrum if he repeats his career year, but that's far from a given since he's been very inconsistent. Uh, so, you know, it's obviously that I covered. It's a very loaded quarterback class. But Denver could also use a running back like Penn State's Saquon Barkley to replace the recently released C.J. Anderson or a pass rusher such, such as NC State's Bradley Chubb to complement Von Miller. Provided the Broncos aren't uh, in love with prospects available at the, at number five, Quarterback needy teams such as Buffalo or Arizona would make for logical trade partners. Buffalo owns the number 12 and 22 overall picks, which would be a good starting point for a deal involving number 5. But I do think they're going to have to give those two picks and a little bit more than that as well. So um, so it should be interesting how this plays out. I, I don't think, however, that Denver will end up trading the pick personally. Now, another story inside the world of the NFL the New York Giants released wide receiver Brandon Marshall after one season with the organization. General Manager David Gettleman announced the roster move. Thursday, Gettleman said the team used the fail physical designation on Marshall per Art Stapleton of the record. Jordan Rannon of ESPN noted the release saved the Giants $5.2 million in cap space. The 34-year-old UCF product finished the 2017 season on injured reserve after suffering an ankle injury in October that required surgery. Marshall told, Marshall told Ralph Vecchiano of SNY in December he was close to getting full clearance and planned to play for at least a couple more seasons. Quote, I think I'm two great years away from, and I'll say it, I want to be a Hall of Famer, and I think I got two great years to, to, uh, to God to be mentioned with some of the greats. I'm not playing this game just to be a guy. I want to be remembered for the product that I put on the field. Marshall failed to make much of an impact during his only year with the Giants. He cut 18 passes for 154 yards with no touchdowns in five games. His departure will likely make the Des Bryant speculation grow louder. Mike Fisher of 247 Sports reported his quote sense after speaking with the former Dallas Cowboys wideout earlier this week was that he'd like to join the Giants. Quote, the Giants got a hell of a defense. They're going to pay OBJ um, so coming to come back. Playing with him, Sterling Shepard, the tight end, Evan Ingram, quarterback Eli Manning. Crazy, Des Bryant said. They draft Saquon Barkley. That, that would be crazy. Meanwhile, Marshall shouldn't have much trouble latching on elsewhere as a number two or three receiver, 
as long as his medical check comes back clean after he failed uh, a physical with the Giants. So my take on this is this is a, a, a very smart move for the Giants. Uh, obviously, Marshall basically did not, you know, he didn't provide anything for for um, for the Giants. So And they saved $5 million in cap space. So just a smart move. So now another story inside the world of the NFL. It's it's very it's very binary on this in terms of news and sports. It's one day it's all NBA, the other it's all NFL. Obviously, it's mostly NFL stories here so far. So longtime Indianapolis Colts defensive end Dwight Freeney is set to sign a one day contract so he can retire as a member of the Colts. Uh, Field Field Yates of ESPN reported the news. Andrew Walker of the Colts official website noted the team legend will hold a press conference Monday to confirm his retirement from the NFL. Uh, Freeney signed a one-year deal with the Atlanta Falcons in August 2016 to bolster the team's defensive line. Alas, the former sackmaster didn't generate much production, especially compared to peak standards, as he registered 10 combined tackles and 3 sacks in 15 games. On a defense, on a defense that was headlined by the young tandem of Vic Beasley and Deion Jones, the well-rounded Falcons won the NFC title in convincing fashion before losing to the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 51. During the run to the Super Bowl, though, retirement was the farthest thing from Freeney's mind, as he told the ESPN.com's Vaughn McClure to, quote, holler at me in a couple months. The lineman ended up making stops with the Seattle Seahawks and Detroit Lions in 2017. He previously signed with the Cardinals during the 2015 season, with an eye on providing a pass-rushing boost after the team struggled to get consistent pressure during the early weeks. He put together a rock-solid campaign with eight sacks and three forced fumbles in 11 games. Interestingly, he never called it quits before the opportunity with Arizona arose, the San Diego Chargers let him go after the 2014 season, and he waited throughout the offseason only to see the regular season begin without getting a chance. In January 2016, Freeney told the story of reaching out to the Cardinals head coach Bruce Arians as a last-ditch effort to keep his career going, as noted by uh, Ebenezer, e- Ebenezer Samuel of the New York Daily News. Quote, I actually texted him. It was like one round I shot over 100 on the golf course one day, and I was like, Bruce, please, I need help. I was one week away from retiring. And I was actually doing some interviews and trying to figure out what I was going to do after. And he called me on the phone uh, and he called me on the plane, excuse me, and the door was closing. The flight attendants were telling everyone to put away all cell phones. I'm looking at my phone and seeing it is BA. I'm telling her, hold on. She's telling me to get off the phone. I said to Arians, yeah, I'm ready to get off the couch. Let's go, man. It has been a ride ever since. The signing ended up working out well for both sides. Arizona got a defensive upgrade and Finney provided, or excuse me, proved he could still make an impact in in um you know, pretty big role. The story also showcased how close he was to walking away for good. Ultimately, the 38-year-old Syracuse product decided it's time to retire. The 11th overall pick of the Indianapolis Colts in 2002 ended his career with 125.5 sacks in 218 games across 16 seasons. The first 11 came with the, with Indianapolis. Freeney earned seven Pro Bowl selections. He was named to the first team All-Pro three times, and he also won a Super Bowl while with the Colts. While those accolades may not make him a Hall of Fame lock, he should at least generate serious consideration based on his uh, on his resume. With that said, he's put together a, career, a terrific career, regardless of whether or not he'll make the Hall of Fame. Uh, so my take on this is I, I think that this was the right move for him. Uh, I don't think he has much left. I don't think he has much left in the tank. Um, you know, it's, or by stats at least. Who knows? Maybe he would have a breakout year um, if he played more, but I doubt it at 38 years old highly unlikely but he's had a great career so i wish him best in whatever he does after football so now another story what else is new in the nfl 
a lawsuit regarding uh, allegedly fraudulent sports memorabilia involving New York Giants quarterback Eli Manning will go to trial, ESPN's Darren Roval, Roville reported on Thursday. The suit dates back to 2014 when plaintiffs claimed both Manning's, uh, Manning and the Giants attempted to pass off unused equipment items as, quote, game-used memorabilia. According to the New York Post's Kaha White House, a drag cleaner contacted, contracted by the Giants allegedly would use his facilities and attempt to simulate wear and tear on Giants jerseys and other apparel. In one reported instance in 2001, the drag cleaner said Giants locker room manager Ed Wagner Jr. instructed him to, quote, intentionally damage multiple jerseys to make them appear to have been game-worn when they had not been. White House reported Manning was among many Giants players involved in the alleged scheme because he wanted to keep certain items that would have been sold or auctioned off. The Washington Post's Will Hobson reported in June 2017 that United States attorneys in, uh, indicted memorabilia dealer Eric um, Inselberg on charges he was selling fake game-worn jerseys. After prosecutors dropped charges, Inselberg filed a lawsuit against the Giants, alleging the fake memorabilia or originated from employees of the team. Not only does Inselberg uh, allege the Giants team employees attempted to fabricate game-worn apparel, but also um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame regarding a piece of NFL history. Anselberg said he bought the, the helmet Eli Manning wore during the Giants Super Bowl win over the New, New England Patriots from two Giants equipment staffers. However, the Giants sent what they claimed to be Manning's uh, helmet to the Hall of Fame for display, which happened following Inselberg's purchase of the original one. Hobson noted after Inselberg filed his lawsuit, the Hall of Fame changed the description of the helmet on display to say it had simply been worn by Manning rather than specifying it was from the Super Bowl. So, um, this is um, pretty crazy. I don't really have... Uh, anything to say about this because I don't really have much knowledge. I just, I just hope that Eli Manning didn't really participate in this, but you know, who knows now a story finally, not in the NFL having to do with basketball. Detroit Pistons owner, Tom Gores will meet with team president slash head coach, Stan Van Gundy to discuss his future with the franchise. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported Thursday. Van Gundy just, just wrapped up his fourth season as Detroit's head coach. The team has a 152 and 176 record and one playoff trip over that span. The Pistons were ninth in the East this season at 39 and 43 and finished fourth four games out of out of a postseason spot. The fact that ownership is evaluating Van Gundy's future comes as little surprise. Detroit signaled its intention earlier this year when it acquired Blake Griffin from the Los Angeles Clippers. Anything short of a top eight finish in the East was going to be disappointing. Not to mention Van Gundy's track record, track record as team president is far from uh, sterling. The jury is still out for Luke Kennard, but Stanley Johnson. And Henry Ellison have been disappoint disappointments after the Pistons selected them as first-rounders in 2015 and 2016, uh, respectively. Trading for Reggie Jackson and then giving him a five-year $80 million extension hasn't been a rousing success either. Uh, earlier this month, Gore told reporters he wasn't necessarily against the head coach simultaneously holding a front office role, saying he, quote, sees value in the front office and the, and the court being connected. Um... So um, Van Gundy may not be willing to accept a situation where he has to relinquish either his duties as head coach or team president. Wojnarowski noted Van Gundy has one more year left on his contract. Gores might be content to let Van Gundy see out the remainder of his deal before making any decisions about his future with the team. Uh, so personally, my take on this is um, just it. I don't think a, a coach should have you know a front front office role at the same time. It's just too much to manage. And obviously, it's looking like that with Stan Van Gundy, so I think he needs to choose one or the other if he wants to remain with Detroit, and he might not even be able to. So, switching gears back to the NFL, the, the 2018 uh, regular season schedule has been released, and um, the key dates are the, the, the regular season The regular season opener is on uh, Thursday, September 6th. 
the the re- regular season kickoff weekend is Sunday, so September 9th. The final day of the regular season is December 30th, Sunday. The NFL playoffs begin on Saturday, January 5th, 2019. And Super Bowl 53 is Sunday, February 3rd at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Um, so my the, the game that I'm personally looking forward to is the Philadelphia Eagles at Los Angeles Rams, and it's not because I'm a Rams fan. Carson Wentz's MVP caliber season came to a screeching halt last December when he suffered a torn ACL against the Rams in Southern California. This year, Wentz and the Eagles will get a chance to re- revisit the side of that season-altering injury when they square off against the Rams in Week 15. Beyond that, the matchup, which was a potential N- NFC Championship game preview, uh, or is a potential NFC Championship game preview, will give the Rams a chance to prove that they can emerge as the class of the c- conference one year after after the Eagles made a triumphant run to Super Bowl 52. And while we can only evaluate things or you know on, on paper for the time being, LA has done a, a staggering job of replenishing its talent pool with game change, changers to challenge the Eagles for NFC, uh, NFC supremacy, in my opinion. The Rams started the offseason by trading for a pair of cornerbacks, cornerbacks in Marcus Peters and Akeem Talib, and they made another big splash in late uh, March by pairing defensive tackle Nadama King Su with all-pro Aaron Donald. With defensive concerns addressed, the Rams shifted their attention to the other side of the ball and replaced Sammy Watkins, who departed for the Kansas City Chiefs, with Brandon Cooks through a trade with the New England Patriots. So uh, it should be interesting how this plays out. Now a story inside the world of baseball. Uh, New York Yankees right fielder Aaron Judge became the fastest player to hit 61 home runs in MLB, in MLB history with a solo homer in the seventh inning of Thursday's 4-3 win over the Toronto Blue Jays. According to MLB.com's Brian Hawk, Judge needed 199 career games to reach the mark, eclipsing the previous record of 204 games, which was held by Mark McGuire. 61 home runs used to be one of the most important benchmarks for MLB sluggers until 1998, when McGuire and Sammy Sosa both broke Roger Maris's single-season home run record. McGuire finished the 1998 season with 70 home runs, while Sosa was just behind with 66. Then Barry Bonds smashed 73 homers in 2001 to set the current gold standard for a single season. After Thursday, judges already up to five home runs through New York's, New York's first 17 games. Washington National star Bryce Harper leads the majors with eight, while the trio of Jed Lowry, Joey Gallo, and Mike Trout are pacing the American League with six. Mounting a serious challenge to Bonds' record is probably out of the question for Judge, but he may be able to improve upon the 52 homers that helped him win AL Rookie of the Year in 2017. So it should be interesting to see how this plays out, how his uh, sophomore season plays out. So now a story inside the role of the NBA, uh, covering kind of covering a playoff game that happened today. After another quiet game on Thursday, Miami Heat center Hassan Whiteside showed his disappointment in coach Eric Spolstra's strategy. Quote, coach wants me to just be in a corner and set uh, picks, Whiteside said per Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press. The center finished with five points and two rebounds in 13 minutes in the 128-108 to home loss of the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 3. Whiteside averaged 14 points and 11.4 rebounds per game this season but he only has 11 points and 12 rebounds over the first uh, three games of the series combined. He has struggled with foul trouble, and he hasn't played more than 15 minutes in any game. So uh, Charles Barkley has some harsh criticism, saying, quote, they are better without him. It's plain and simple. Meanwhile, Joel Embiid was dominated for the 76ers in his return from orbital bone injury, fish- finishing with 23 points and 7 rebounds. As a result of this one-sided matchup, Philadelphia owns a 2-1 series lead. Whiteside signed a four-year, $98 million uh, contract in 2016 and responded last season by leading the NBA with 14.1 rebounds a game and setting a career high with 17 points a game. Unfortunately, he has not been a- anywhere close uh, to the player he was in the pre- in previous uh, years this season. If he and Spolstra can't figure things out, the Heat are in trouble for the series 
and there could be some personnel changes in the next season. So now the last thing we're going to be covering today, uh, in terms of breaking news, is uh, the Golden State uh, Warriors and New Orleans Pelicans are each one win, one win away from sweeping their first round series, which could create a problem for the defend, defending champions. And I should have covered this earlier, but I did not. The Golden State Warriors uh, beat the San Antonio Spurs fairly easily in Game 3, and they're going to be looking for the sweep in Game 4. So anyway, according to Mark Thompson II of The Athletic, Stephen Curry, uh, quote, is still not close to uh, playing as he recovers from a Grade 2 MCL sprain. The two-time MVP will be evaluated Friday, but, quote, isn't in the final stages of, of his re rehabilitation. With the respective first-round series being on the brink of ending, the second-round matchup between the Warriors and Pelicans could start as early as April the 28th. Thompson suggested Curry may not be ready by then. Chris Swick of Yahoo Sports noted Curry was initially expected to miss between four and six weeks, and the six-week mark would set him up for a return around May 4th. The silver lining for the Warriors is the fact that they haven't missed much of a beat in the postseason without their sharpshooter. They've handled the Spurs by double digits in each of their first three games in their series, and, um, in their series, and clearly have more talent with Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green going up against a squad missing Kawhi Leonard. However, things figure to become tougher as early as the second round when Golden State figures to face a Pelicans team featuring Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday. As talented as the other three All-Stars are, the Warriors are a much more formidable team with Curry on the floor. His presence as a lethal outside shooter forces opposing defenses to uh, stretch further to the outside, which opens up cutting James for himself and others and takes double teams away from Durant. It's no coincidence uh, the team's offensive rating was a head-turning 120.4 when he was on the floor this season and 106.1 when he was off of it per NBA.com. Even with the other talent on the roster, the Warriors will likely need a healthy Curry in the later rounds with potential matchups against the Pelicans and the top-seeded Houston Rockets and perhaps the eventual Eastern Conference champions looming after that. Uh, so that's all we have for the breaking news of sports. Now we're going to be covering the LA sports teams. Um, and, uh, you know, as I said in, um, before in, previous ep in a previous episode, uh, the Lakers, Clippers, Kings, and Ducks are all done playing this season. And obviously the Rams and Chargers have not played for a while now. So uh, to make up for not covering the Kings and the Ducks, I'm going to be uh, covering the rest of the NHL playoffs uh, for now. So we're going to be starting with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, they did not play today. Their next game is tomorrow at 7.10 p.m. against the Washington Nationals. It'll be broadcasted on Sportsnet LA. It's a big game. It's uh, Clayton Kershaw versus Max Scherzer, two elite pitchers in the MLB. So it should be interesting how it plays out. Now the Angels, on the other hand, they lost to the Boston Red Sox today by a score of 8-2. to They fall to 13-6, and and the Red Sox improved to 16-2. and so the Red Sox are playing insane, uh, and um, the Angels got swept by the Red Sox, and um, the Angels are still 13-6, and they're still first in the AL West. The Angels' next game is tomorrow at 7.07 p.m. against the San Francisco Giants in Anaheim, California. It'll, it'll be broadcasted on Fox Sports West. So that's that. Uh, now we're going to be covering the NHL playoffs uh, that happened today, the, the game from today, I mean. So um, today... Um, the Boston Bruins beat the Toronto Maple Leafs 3-1 and they take a 3-1 series lead and the Washington Capitals beat the Columbus Blue Jackets 4-1 and they tie the series at two games apiece the games tomorrow are the Philadelphia Flyers and Pittsburgh Penguins at 4pm with the Penguins leading 3-1 the Minnesota Wild and the Winnipeg Jets at 4.30pm with the Jets leading 3-1 and the Colorado Avalanche and the Nashville Predators at 6.30pm with the Nashville Predators up 3-1 um, so now the LA Galaxy and the LAFC. So, um, the LA Galaxy plays Saturday, April 21st at 7.30 p.m. And the LAFC plays Saturday at 10 a.m. against the Montreal Impact. 
and um, um, someone that I just want to mention somebody that I know or somebody that I, I know through some or just heard about because I we have we or we used to have some mutual friends um, Tommy Mark who's a 13 year old boy who passed away he he was a member of the LA Galaxy junior team and he used to play for LAFC's junior team uh, so he died in his sleep unfortunately so uh, prayers to him and his family uh, it's a very sad time for a lot of people for some people that I know uh, it's very unfortunate he was from what I've heard he was a very nice young man and obviously uh, an amazing soccer player it's just again it's very unfortunate but the uh, a, not a silver lining but a, a kind of a bright um, you know a, a bright little thing that's going to be happening is um, on Saturday in the LA Galaxy's game against the Atlanta United before the game uh, there's going to be a minute of applause for um, for Tommy so just respect to the LA Galaxy for doing this it's 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 pretty cool so so that's that now we're going to be covering the um, Monte Carlo Open tennis tournament so the matches that happened today there were a good amount of matches so unseated Japanese uh, player Kane Nishikori beat unseated Italian uh, Seppi 6-0-2-6-6-3 um, Milos Raonic retired against uh, Marian Cilic the, uh, so that match didn't happen unseated Frenchman uh, Richard Gasquet beat unseated German Misha Zverev 6-2-7-5 number one seed from Spain Rafael Nadal beat unseated Russian Kachanov 6-3-6-2 um, oh, I, I already, I believe, I already covered these matches. Yes, I did. So I'm going to be covering the matches that are going to be taking place on Friday instead. Sorry about that misunderstanding. So the fourth seed, Grigor Dimitrov takes the sixth seed, David Goffin. The one seed, Rafael Nadal takes on the five seed, Dominic Thiem. Unseeded Frenchman, Richard Gasquet takes on three seeded German, Alexander Zverev. And two seeded, Marin Cilic takes on unseeded Japanese player Kane Ishikori and on the men's doubles side um, I did not cover the doubles I'm not going to be going over the schedule for Friday but I will cover today's results um, the four-seeded Brian brothers narrowly avoided an upset against unseeded uh, unseeded Frenchman Nis and unseeded uh, Polish player Arniotto it was by a score of 6-7 6-0 11-9 and in an upset unseeded uh, Indian Bopana and unseeded Frenchman Roger Vaseline uh, Upset the seven seeds, Suarez from Brazil and Mur Jamie Murray from Britain, 3-6, uh, 6-4, And in an upset, uh, Pablo Cuevas of um, uh, Uruguay and um, Granolers of Spain beat Her Herbert and Mahout, the five seeds from France, 7-5, 7-6. So uh, that's the result of the Monte Carlo Open. And uh, that's all we have for this episode of Sean's Sports Show. All the other episodes are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, and Google Play. So check those out. Uh, follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. Add me on Facebook and follow on SoundCloud. You can also, if you're not, if you're, if you feel like being nice and helping me out, you can rate my podcast on iTunes. Hopefully, you give me um, four or five stars. But if not, it's okay. And hopefully, you you subscribe as well on iTunes. So again, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all the support. We out.